Abba Yahweh, this day, this day that you have graciously allowed me to draw breath and raise, this new day, your day, Father God, that you have already walked through, you see what is ahead for me, you know what is ahead for me, you walk with me, guide me. Thank you for allowing me to be a conduit yet another day, Father God, that you have granted me to enter your treasury, to share your truth, knowledge, and your wisdom, Father God, to any that would listen. Father God, they that have an ear, let them hear, eyes, let them see. Abba Yahweh, Aman, Yeshua Aman, Baraklitos Aman. So, <clears throat> having eyes, let them spiritually see, shake the scales from their eyes. You need to pray this, brothers and sisters, amongst yourselves. There are so many, so many, they go to church, they hear the preaching, but they don't open their eyes. The ears, they're hard of hearing. Their eyesight is scaled, their hearing is blocked. They hear only what they want to hear, and they don't pay attention to anything around. So despite the egregious activities of these elected officials and the absolute destruction that is going on with these officials and the fear that Satan is trying to impose, this, this thing that's going on with the Russians this is a drive of fear. You think that these politicians are choosing this for a political takeover for their countries. It's not all about that. The agenda is deeper and darker. You need to pay attention. And if you're not paying attention to that, then you need to pay attention to the word of God. First of all, these things are a testimony of the prophets. They're a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God. <clears throat> that this reign of terror that will come. And terror is only fear-driven force. This stuff that's going on, <laughs> I'm gonna try to explain something logically so you're, you maybe it'll lessen your fear, I would pray so. And this has been okayed for me to share. So this nuclear stuff that everybody's talking about and oh it's going to be nuclear it's going to be nuclear look at the russians are going to nuke they're going to do okay first of all this country has more natural resources and produce availability that many of those countries do not have they import constantly okay this country produces from within they will not nuke this country because then any nuclear that comes will destroy all of that. And for those of you that don't know, nuclear contamination has what's called a half-life. And most of the stuff that is used militarily, the half-life is literally thousands of years. So if they came, if it comes under a nuclear attack, it would devastate and render this country completely useless useless. Nobody could grow. Nobody could live. Useless for 
thousands of years. No, you cannot decontaminate it. No, you cannot scrub it clean. No, none of that is possible. But the chemical or biological is all cleanable with detergents and decontaminants. Hmm, render a thought to that, shall we? And we won't go into that because that's going away from this word. But here's the important thing that we need to remember. And the important thing is right here in the word of God. So I don't know if any of you have read the story. And heard the story of Lazarus. Now, here's the thing that a lot of people don't know. Is that Lazarus was actually related, earthly relationship to Jesus. And this woman... Mary, she was also the one that washed Jesus' feet with her tears. And she used her hair. She anointed his feet and she wiped his feet with her hair. Same person. And her brother whom she loved dearly. I'm going to digress here a moment and and touch back to Mary. Mary, when she came to anoint Jesus' feet and to worship at his feet, anoint his feet with oil and to cry and wipe his feet with her hair, there were those that were gathered who were supposed theological Wizards knew all this thing, but they were there to hear Jesus. They knew that Jesus was holy. They knew that what he was sharing was an important word. And when she came in, they tried to rebuke her and send her away. And she said, you have no business here. And she just kept walking. And when Jesus saw, he bid to them to let her come in. And she immediately walked in and she knelt at his feet, crying and weeping. She shed her tears on his feet and then anointed his feet. And when they tried to rebuke her and tried to rebuke him at the same time for saying, do you not know what kind of person this is? She has no business here. He was teaching them from the word. But Jesus had a rebuke for them. If you remember that passage, he actually rebuked the master of the house. who was a Pharisee, kind of a high and mighty guy, who they all were actually. They all thought themselves that because they all sought the, sought the best seats at whatever feast is being given. Um, you know, whatever they went to, they wanted the best seat, the highest seat. They wanted the best food, so they always commanded the first servings. So 
Jesus actually rebuked the master of the house, which was this Pharisee guy. And he said, basically he's saying, of course, I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm going to reduce it to <clears throat> probably more how I would say it or how it would be said in the modern time. He just says, how dare you? You dare rebuke her from coming here and rebuke me for letting, for bidding her to come to me? She has anointed my feet with her oil and her tears, and she wiped my feet with her hair. You did not even offer when I came into your house. You did not offer me drink. You did not offer me refreshment, and you did not allow me to even wash my feet. You offered me nothing. You just wanted to come in and hear what I had to say. And this woman comes in to hear my word, to be healed and redeemed. She is redeemed. She came with her show of faith and she came straight away to where she knew the important word was. And yet, of course, the rest is my interpolation. And yet... You rebuke her and you don't even come to seek the truth. You just come to see what you can pick apart and how you can blame. How dare you? You rebuke her, I rebuke you. Which is essentially what he did constantly, except for there was one whom he did not. Because Nicodemus had a curiosity in his heart and he wanted to be close to the Lord. He just wasn't sure how to do it. But there was something that he was longing for. And by the words of the prophets and by the fact that Jesus has come and manifest himself, Nicodemus started wondering about what they were teaching one another within the Sanhedrin. He questioned, but he believed there was something different and unique about Jesus. Oh, it's unique, all right. Unique that he came for me and whosoever would hear and listen. He died for me and whosoever would believe. And he rose again from the dead. That's unique. He rose by faith and love of his Father God in heaven. So in the story of Lazarus, And Jesus was teaching and he was giving lessons. And it's interesting that what he was talking about, Jesus was talking about how the sheep hear his voice and eternal life and not perishing and how no one can take them. Once Once Christ has redeemed and we believe and have faith that there's no man that can just take you away from Jesus. And he was talking about that. And he was talking about those things when he was found and it was told that Lazarus was sick. 
and they gave him the word and said that they need him come. And Jesus heard And when they told him that Lazarus was sick, Jesus heard, and he told them that the sickness is not unto death, only for the glory of God. And Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And he stayed another couple days where he was teaching. And the disciples went to Jesus and they bade him to come and see them. And so when Jesus left, after he was teaching, And he told his disciples he was coming. And, you know, there's a difference when Jesus talks about our death. He talks about our sleep. That's, that's actually in a number of passages, not only Jesus, but there's a number of passages that speak of our physical death as a slumber or sleeping. And that's really what we have to put our perception to, is that we're sleeping. We're not, that's physicality here. When you lay down and go, here's the thing that a lot of people don't realize, and, and I, this is what I was going to say when I interrupted myself to, to reiterate from the beginning so that people understand. When we go to sleep at night in bed, we are the closest to death without dying that a person can be. The heart rate slows down so much, barely beating, and our breath is so slow. And when we wake in the morning, it's by the grace of God, it's as if he's tapping us saying, okay, time to get up. And he breathes in and we start up and we wake up and we come into the physical life again. So he's referring to Lazarus um, as he responded to the disciples that came. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. And then Jesus said to the disciples, if he sleep, he shall do well. And Jesus was speaking of his death, but the disciples thought that he, had, he was napping, which essentially to Jesus, that's exactly what he was doing. And then he just openly spoke to him. He said, Lazarus is dead because, uh, okay, <laughs> I have to try to understand this. And this is this is one part of the scriptures where it makes it really absolutely, to me, pretty plain. 
the disciples were not holy educated men. You had Luke, who was a physician, Matthew, who was a bookkeeper who actually spoke a number of languages, um, and he kept the books for the Romans. He was a Roman tax collector, hated and despised by everyone. And they, which is kind of funny because this is how we do in this day is that those that are trying to obey the rules and the laws, and I run in this, run into this in my job quite frequently, actually. People are mad at the company, and when I try to enforce a rule that I've been told, actually literally told, not just that it's something that we know of, but I was actually told that a particular individual is not going to be allowed passage. And when that person is seen at a particular place, and I tell them when they try to come, I'm sorry, but you can't come. For some reason, you're not allowed to take passage for the rest of the day. And what is the first thing that they do? They cuss me and not anything toward the company, but they direct that directly at me personally, as if I was the one who made all this up. And that's how, <laughs> in respect, that's kind of how the disciples were a little dense that way. They wanted to learn the word. They wanted to stay in the word. But, you know, when Jesus spoke, they had some difficulty in understanding sometimes. And Jesus was able to discern this, which is what he was talking about, Lazarus speaking. And he, he just told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. And then Thomas, Thomas, interesting character there. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. And when Jesus arrived, he'd found that Lazarus had been dead for a while. So Mary and Martha lived in a little place called Bethany, and it was near to Jerusalem. So there were many Jews that had come from there. And they came to Martha and Mary for comfort. And of course, they, their culture was when somebody died and if people knew their family, they they made kind of a, a to-do. Sort of like what happens in and around New Orleans. They have the parade and the music and all that. And when Martha heard that Jesus had come and arrived, Martha went out. And Martha talked to Jesus and said, if you were here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. 
Martha thinking that he was talking about the resurrection as promised to all of us in our physical death that we shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whatsoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then looking at Martha, he said, Believest thou me? Believest thou this? Her response, she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ. Now here's an interesting phrase in which she said that. Now you remember, there are many that mistake the, the fact that Jesus is his first name and Christ is his last name. Somehow they get that confused. Not sure how they do that. Maybe because in much of the older scripture, when it's written, it's written as Jesus Christ. But sadly, there's many people who take that as an oath, a curse. They use it as a cursory expert. They smash their thumb. And what do they say? Ah, Jesus Christ. What was that? Your foolishness and your mishandling, your speed or your haste, is what caused that to happen. It had nothing to do with Jesus Christ. How are you using that as an expletive? The holy of holies and the name upon higher than all names, the one who came and died for your sake and you curse his name in such a foul way. Or when they get agitated or short with somebody and they'll mutter that just barely loud enough for people to hear. Pardon me. <coughs> Pardon me. Goodness. So here's the here's the, the my point with that. Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. The Christ, the anointed of God, Jesus. She didn't even finish saying the whole name. She already knew who he was. But she said, I believe that you are the anointed one of God. Which, if you remember, when John baptized him by water and he rose and then the dove descended on him or the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, which drew people's sight to that and came. And then the voice of God, behold my son in whom I am well pleased. That Jesus is doing all that he has told, was told and what they had discussed. So Martha makes that statement and I try to get folks to listen and I've shared it several times. I'll probably share it many more times. Jesus is his given name. He was told, or Joseph and Mary, you shall call his name Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us or God in us. There's two interpretations and translations, both are correct, and neither one is one over the other. So, 
if you want to say his name is Jesus Emmanuel, and then of course the surname for whatever it was that Joseph and their last name, as we would call it now, but that's a surname. Given name is your first name, and surname is your family name. So, that being said, let's try to keep that in mind that. And which makes actually the foolish individuals that are foolish for using his name, first of all, as a curse. And then makes it sort of uh, (laughs) contrary. They're trying to make it a curse, but they're declaring Jesus the anointed of God and trying to make that a curse. Eh. People are so very, very foolish. So, when Jesus Christ comes, the Son of God, the Anointed of God, and after she was talking to him, she went to Mary, and she said that Jesus is here and he's calling for you. She went and went out to him, They weren't even actually in the town yet. But they had stopped where Martha had come out and and greeted him and met him. And they followed her out when they saw her get up quickly. And they're thinking, oh, she's going out to the grave and she's going to go cry. But she went out to meet Jesus And she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And then further reading and picking up in 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he just groaned. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. That's kind of, letting out a big sigh and just like, ah, which Jesus did. And the Bible talks about that happening when he's talking to people. He groaned in the spirit or he, he groaned. Brother and sister, do you not think that Jesus was troubled by so many of the things that were going on around him? Do not forget that Jesus Christ the anointed of God who came as the only begotten son of God who is going to be crucified, many of these people just caused him to groan because they failed to understand what he was saying. And sometimes in very plain speech, and they still, they just weren't listening. And like this here, When Jesus knew why she would be weeping, but then, of course, the jury that followed her, they were all crying and weeping and making a big to-do, and many of them probably didn't even know who Lazarus was. Or I should say who Lazarus is, because Lazarus is alive. And Jesus asked, where have you laid him? And... They just said, come and we'll show you, or Lord, come see. And Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. 
I think it was more that he was weeping because of their showmanship and their lack of understanding and lack of faith. <clears throat> and some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused it? Even this man should not have died. Now see, this is, this is how they always seem to turn things. They turn it to the negative, just like when he was trying to teach the Pharisees and share with them the truth, the knowledge, and the wisdom of God from the Word. And who is the Word? The Word, Jesus Christ. Is the Word from the beginning was with God, and the Word was manifest into life. And given that, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and from the beginning, Jesus Christ was there. Jesus Christ was given the breath of life and came as that to us, to teach us, to share with us. And he tried to show them. He showed them in straight speech. He gave them parabolic speech. He tried to teach them in so many ways, yet they were so adamant of their intellect and prowess in the words of the prophets and of the words from the scrolls, from the Torah, but yet they didn't know the truth as it stood before him. And he, he rebuked them many times using that phrase. The truth stands before you, and yet you do not know. So then they turn it negative and try to say, wow, if he had been here, he wouldn't have died. Huh. And then Jesus, of course, groaning to himself again. And <laughs> how it must have been for his earthly, the man in Jesus to be amongst these folks that he spoke so truthfully and so deeply and with so much love, and yet they keep doing this so... This time Jesus moaned and it was for their absolute lack of faith and negativity. But yet Martha and Mary had faith and they knew. And that was more important that they knew that what Jesus spoke was truth. What Jesus speaks is truth. And that Lazarus would be raised. Jesus said, take away the stone." And Martha, sister said, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Said I not thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou should see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. So you see, this was about the glory of God and Jesus making that a revelation by speaking audibly that they heard. I know that you hear me all the time, but that we do this and you do this through me so that they believe that thou hast sent me. 
And when he had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And when he was dead, that was dead, came forth, bonded hand and foot with the grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus told him, loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. Interesting phraseology there. So many people fear death and were afraid of it. I'm, I know I'm going to die. Tomorrow is not promised. I may not even wake with a breath, but everything that I have had and God has allowed me to have and the breath that I draw is because God allows it. <coughs> Pardon me. And if God allows it and he decides to take it away, so be it. But we have to remember, we must remember that death has no bond, that there's nothing to fear, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't be afraid of death. Death has no bond anymore. Remember the one who used to have dominion over death was Satan. And there was a great deal that people had to be fearful of. And they spoke of that often. But here Lord Jesus Christ came. And when Jesus Christ, he went to hell and he wrested the keys from the kingdom of death, from he who had dominion over such. And that would be Satan. He just reached out and he took the keys. He didn't ask him to turn him over. He didn't ask him to relinquish. Jesus Christ reached out and he took the keys from him. That is the authority that Jesus Christ has. The authority that has been given each of his disciples. We have been given the same authority. And that he would be loosed. The bondage of death, the bondage of fear, the bondage of fear. Interesting, let me segue to another direction. All this stuff that's going on in the world around, this fearful driving, this agenda that everyone gets caught up in, not going to be any nuclear holocaust because it would destroy too much of the planet. People would have to walk around in full protective clothing for literally thousands of years. There are places it couldn't even be inhabited if that happened. They would not do that in this country because it would destroy everything that these countries want and desire. It would be utterly destroyed. And of course, there are those that don't get that. They don't understand it. And ignorance is, sometimes they say ignorance is bliss. But in that ignorance, it's carefully and easily driven the wrong direction. And so many people will jump on a bandwagon and say, oh, a cheetah's a leopard. That's right. Just like so many try to speak the truth about the lies that are being pandered and driven, driving the citizens by fear, being fearfully driven. I've shared with you, Do you can be afraid. God does not mind if you're afraid, but he also reminds us to be of good courage, to stand up and not to be afraid because he is with us always. No matter what, 
God is with us. If you're being driven by fear, then you will act ways that you normally wouldn't act. You throw all logic to the wind. You act irrationally. You respond irrationally. You react differently than you would if you were thinking logically and rationally and being driven by sense instead of fear. Being afraid is not bad, but being fearfully driven is not good because then you will do things that you would not normally do and you would choose to ignore the word. So I think that there's a lot of metaphor in this passage right here. I've shared some of that and tried to enlighten you to that. It said, loose him and let him go so that he could walk freely as we're to do. Death has no bonds on us at all anymore. Jesus took the keys of death. And then, of course, many of the Jews that came to Mary had seen the things which Jesus did. Then they believed on him. And then some went running to the Pharisees to tell them what Jesus had done. And of course you remember that it didn't matter what Jesus did. The arrogant Pharisees, and I shouldn't, I shouldn't speak of them in such a generality because there were some that were in close with Nicodemus and Nicodemus spoke on the realization and the possibility that there is much more magnificence in the word of God than they even know. And there's much more mystery and beauty with God. And, you know, they would have, they would have condemned Nicodemus had he spoken that openly. They would have condemned him of heresy, blasphemy, and condemned him and probably would have stoned him to death. But he kept that to himself and only a few that were absolutely close to him. And here's what we have to know and realize. Exactly what Nicodemus shared with them, I share with you. There is a much deeper mystery and a much deeper beauty than many can even imagine. You have to see with spiritual eyes and hear with spiritual hearing. Lean in and listen to the word of God. Lean in and listen to the song of worship by all nature that is around us. Let heaven and nature sing. Rocks, hills, and plains. Repeat the sounding joy. It's not just a Christmas carol. It's a prayer. Read the lyrics. I shared the lyrics with you. Look them up. You want to jump on the computer and go to Google? Look and read through the lyrics that are there. It is a prayer. Praying that earth would receive her king, which they did not. Many did. Many do. And they receive that Jesus is 
the only begotten Son, Christ, the anointed of God, who came, was killed, and hung on a cross, but rose again, as he promised he would. Repeat the sounding joy. And as the scripture also says, there will be no excuse when you come and God just looks down at you and says, and why didn't you? Uh, well, uh, your honor, uh, Lord, God, I didn't know. And God will just probably do that thing that Jesus did, that groan like, oh, are you kidding? You didn't listen to anyone share the word with you? You didn't listen to them speak that were about my business and you didn't listen to everything that was around you? You didn't listen when the birds were singing and trying to call to you and tell you that I am alive and real and I created them? You didn't listen to the rivers flowing, the waterfalls coming down and crying in a deep thunderous voice and singing. You didn't hear the roar of the waves when they declared my majesty and might. You didn't look upon the mountains and see that I had pushed them up with my voice and my strength and I pushed them up into creation. And some of them so high that you have to have help in breathing. You didn't see any of that. You didn't hear the declaration by all that was around you. Oh, my creation. And he said, there were even those that wrote a song about it. But then some of yours, intellectual or claiming to be, decided it was only a Christmas carol. Only to be sung at Christmas time. Oh, oh, that you would only have listened. Only have listened. And then those that ran to the Pharisees and they took counsel of them and said, What do we do now? What do we do about this man? He does many miracles. If we let him alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. <laughs> you see what they were worried about? They'll come and take our place and our nation. What does that speak to? That speaks to their worrying about their position in society. They would lose that and then they would be just like everyone else. And Caiaphas, he was the head, the high priest and the high mucky muck. And he told me, he said, ye know nothing at all, nor that consider it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. And this he spake not of himself, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but also that he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. And from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. <laughs> Caiaphas spoke the truth, but he spoke it that was interpreted that they had to kill Jesus Christ. And what they didn't realize, not even knowing, 
that the word of the prophets actually spoke to this. So he was working to bring the words of prophecy to fruition. Didn't even know it. And Jesus, from then on, he didn't walk openly and walk openly amongst them because it was, he knew that these plans were coming. But see, it had to be in God's timing, just like he's shared with many. My hour has not come. My time has not come. And there were many that he shared when he did the miracles and he asked them not to share that information because his time had not come amongst man. Of course, they didn't understand it and many went off and blabbed it anyway. They were just so caught up and overwhelmed that I believe there was no condemnation or, or uh, pointing the finger at them for that. Jesus knew and realized that they were excited and happy. But in this case, Jesus knew that his hour had not come, so he wasn't going to walk openly out there because then they would try to forcibly take him. And then, of course, there will be those amongst that will say, well, he could have just snapped his finger and everything would have been different. Well, <laughs> here's the reality in that. Yes, Jesus Christ could do that conceivably, the only begotten Son of God. But then, too, the hour would not arrive and it would not be time for him to do such things. Yes, it's a possibility. He could have called a legion of angels to deliver him and he would not have been crucified. If he had changed his mind and truly said, God, can we change this? Can we change this at all, please? I just, I can't go through with this. His father would have acquiesced because that is his only begotten son. He would have allowed that. He would have sent a legion of angels. And listen to me when I share this with you, a legion. If you look into this, a legion. If I remember my history correctly, I may not, I'm old, I forget stuff. I believe a legion is approximately 1,200 men. A legion of Roman soldiers is about 1,200 men. A centurion is over is over 100 men. Century, 100, over 100 men. So each centurion had control over 100 men. And if you break that down militarily, like the modern military, so... You have, depending on, on the units and what the personnel rate was, you had a company commander, and then you had a platoon commander, and you had a platoon, and a platoon was, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember the count breakdown, and I can't. So I, I'm just trying to explain that so that you understand the relevance in size and number. So a legion of angels, approximately 1,200 angels. And then you think now, relativity in, the, in your mind's eye, the size of the earth, a legion, 1,200 angels, and you think, well, 
That's not a lot. To destroy the world and set him free. And return Jesus Christ. They all would have returned to heaven after totally destroying the world. I love that old song that they used to sing when I was younger in church. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone to set me free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone on Calvary's tree. I used to, even as a young child when that was sung, and I didn't realize that the Holy Spirit was calling to me, even at that time, whenever I heard that, I just couldn't help but to cry. And the Holy Spirit was speaking to me then. And as I got older, just kept ignoring that call. Foolishly. But here's the thing too. Brothers and sisters, we have to know, and we have to remember that even in the darkest situation, and Martha and Mary were in a dark place. They were in a deep, dark depression. Couldn't be much deeper than what they were in. Brother had died. Cousin had died. Also, don't forget, this is Jesus' cousin as well. Brothers and sisters, no matter where we are in darkness or where we think that we are or what our position we think we're in, this is how fear works. And fear from the enemy, Satan, and he pushes that. He pushes that. And he pushes that because he knows how fearful we can become. And then we become easily manipulated, which is exactly what the agenda is when they talk about all these things going on. And when you have an enemy, militarily this speaks as well, but you have to understand this too. We are in a spiritual warfare. The warfare is for our very existence, our very soul, our very, not our physicality and death, but our perishing. And brothers and sisters, I don't want to be separated from my Lord God, Father, creator of all things. I don't want to be separated from my Lord Jesus, and I don't want to be eternally separated from my loved ones. What kind of a, a torture until the ultimate end comes and that absolute final judgment that you can be in a position where you see and are aware of these people that you love so dearly? You're aware of them can see them, but you can't be near them or touch them ever again. Would that not just tear at your heart? Brothers and sisters, 
hear me. And for those of you that have not decided to do so, brothers and sisters, stay in prayer constantly. As Paul referred to pray without ceasing, when Peter went into prison and was bound on each side by chains that were attached to guards. And the angel came in and gave him a kick in the side and said, Peter, get up. Let's go. And he got up and they ended up outside of the prison. And then he went to Mary's house where they were praying without ceasing. They prayed over the deliverance of Peter. And when he came to the door, they thought it was his spirit. They, hey, Peter's in jail. We know he's there. They, you're just seeing things. And then they realize that, hey, Peter's here. They pray without ceasing. Prayer without ceasing can be accomplished, brothers and sisters. Remember, doesn't require prayer posture. It just requires continual prayer, talking to God. That's all that is. You can, you don't even have to move your lips. Just talk to God. Talk to our Father. And for those of you that have not decided, simply say, I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, that he is your only begotten Son, and I do want to believe that. I do believe it. I want to have faith in you, Father God. I will have faith. And I want your spirit, your Holy Spirit to guide my steps and teach me so that I can be stronger, so that I can do this walk. I will. I do. Let's go. It's really pretty simple, actually. All you have to do is say the words, believe the words, walk in faith, read the book, stay in the book, seek his face, seek his truth, seek his knowledge, seek his wisdom. There are many that claim by title only and they don't read this 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 bible this treasury i call it his treasury treasure house uh, whatever term you want to use and comfortable with that's what i call it because it's full of treasure knowledge and wisdom is a treasure and there are places in the bible where it talks about that it talks about wisdom when it talks about the wisdom that is given to Solomon, and it talks about wisdom in the book of Proverbs, that wisdom is like a treasure. Wisdom is like a, a woman that should be nurtured. And here's the thing, too, you have to understand, that knowledge and wisdom are two different things. They're not synonymous. Many people declare them to be interchangeable. They're not interchangeable. Wisdom is a collection of knowledge, a collection of those things that are known and shared in wisdom with those that don't know. God's knowledge of all the things that are made because he made them and then the wisdom that he has, which is collected of all the things that he knows. Can you just, and we haven't even touched that. Our finite minds and scientists are still trying to figure stuff out. And they still can't. Most of it is simply unfathomable. 
It won't be figured out. His ways are higher, deeper, beyond finite understanding. Stop. Faith. The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It's all about faith, brothers and sisters, all about faith. I pray for you on my going out, my coming in, always do until my last breath.